Uh, listen, here's what we're doing today. We're starting a brand new series. It's called The Hope of Glory. It's a study in the book of Colossians. We're going to talk about what Colossians is and what's going on in, in that book of the Bible. But, um, but here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to try to get a 30,000-foot view today because we're going to spend the rest of our summer in, in these four chapters, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, uh, aptly named, I guess, uh, of, of Colossians. And so today we're just trying to get an overview, a, a, a look at kind of what we're doing for the rest of the summer. And then at the end of our service today, at the end of my time anyway, in terms of preaching, we're going to do something that I've always wanted to do in church, but have never had the guts to do until now. And we're going to read Colossians in its entirety from start to finish, every verse of it. And I'm going to read a little bit, and then you're going to read a little bit, because uh, these letters would have been read in the churches early on. So we're going to talk about that here in a moment, but just be prepared that our goal today is to get an overview, a 30,000-foot view, as we kind of kick off our summer studying this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. So let's pray, and then we're going to get a little bit of a context for where we're going today. God, thank you. Uh, for your grace to us. Thank you that when we cry out to you that we need you, you uh, are our one defense and our righteousness. God, you meet every need that we have in your son, Christ Jesus. So we are grateful. God, I can say this for myself today. I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need you in my thought life. I need you in my affections. I need you in my behavior. I need you in my attitude. God, I need you. Every moment, every hour of every day, I need you. And so, God, we invite you now to speak through your word, speak through even the history of your church as we uh, talk a little bit about this book, this letter to the church at Colossae. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, Amen. Well, listen, we're going to rewind a little bit to a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here with us as we uh, talked about uh, the kingdom of God, a five-week series that we started on Easter Sunday, it's okay. Here's kind of where we land him. Jesus uh, lived a perfect life for three years. He was... Uh, uh, tried and convicted, kind of lynched, to be honest with you, crucified, and three days later, uh, the tomb that he was in was empty. He began to appear to his disciples and to over 500 witnesses because he had raised from the dead. He wasn't, as the prince's bride would say, mostly dead. He was all the way dead, and he rose from the grave on the third day. And then after 40 days on the planet, he uh, ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we talked about that just before he did that, he gave his disciples a charge. He gave them a mission. He gave them a task. He said, friends, listen, you just saw a man rise from the dead. And what you're about to see is that same man ascend into heaven. Not just a man, but the God man. 100% God and 100% man. God incarnate. And, and he's going to ascend into heaven. And so here, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go tell some people. <laughs> Tell folks about what you saw. Tell them about what you heard. Tell them about the experiences that you have with me. Tell them about who I am, Jesus says to his disciples. And he says, now get after it. And he ascends into heaven and the disciples stand there looking up. Whoa, that was awesome. Until angels show up, a couple by the way, and they say, look, 
you just got a task. You just got a job. Get after it. Because we talked about that a little bit a, a couple weeks ago. And, and the disciples did. They got after it. And in fact, today is the day of Pentecost in the church calendar. It was a day when the disciples were in a room in Jerusalem. They were kind of cowering together in fear, waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised that his spirit would come and empower them. And all of a sudden, it looked like fire around the room and it empowered the disciples to speak languages that they didn't otherwise know so that they could tell people about who Jesus was and about what he did. So they began to communicate this on, on the day that we celebrate today, uh, over 2,000 years ago, is it over 2,000 years ago? Just under 2,000 years ago. Eh, 2,000, give or take. Let's round up. 2,000 years ago, and they began to preach the gospel, and thousands of people were converted to what we now call Christianity, but they didn't call it Christianity back then. They just called them followers of the way. Just A bunch of people just started saying yes to Jesus and became followers of the way. Now, there were a couple of different groups of folks back then that weren't really excited about this. The two groups of folks were the Romans and really, really devout religious Jews. The reason why they weren't excited about it is because they're thinking to themselves, we just killed the leader of this little movement. Why do we still have a movement? <laughs> And not just a little movement anymore. This is kind of a big deal. This is not good at all. So what they began to do was persecute and imprison and kill followers of the way 2,000 years ago. History records this. The Bible records this. This is not news to most of you. You can still go back to Italy where I just was, by, by the way, and see the ruins and places like the Colosseum where Christians were thrown to the lions. Followers of the way were persecuted because they were followers of Jesus. One of those individuals who who was a really, really strong persecutor of the church was a man named Shaul. You might know him by his Hebrew name, Saul, and he eventually became the Apostle Paul. He records in Philippians chapter 3 how religious and how devout and, and even, I'd go so far as to say, angry he was at followers of the way. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, uh, I, was, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I had all the things put together in terms of my religiousness, but I've given it all up. I count it all as rubbish. So before, when he had all those things put together in terms of his religiousness, he began to per persecute these followers of the way. And one day on a road to Damascus, a city called Damascus, Shaul or Saul had the death warrants of a number of Christians in his hand. And he was on his way to Damascus to carry that out. We know for a fact that Saul imprisoned Christians. We know for a fact that he stood by and approved when Christians were killed. In fact, when the very first man was martyred, Stephen, very first Christian was martyred, Saul stood by and went, yeah, I like that. That's good. Let's do that. Let's keep doing that. I approve of that. That's what the book of Acts tells us. And, and, and history records, and, and we can assume that Saul even had a hand at carrying out some of these death sentences. Well, he's headed to Damascus to do just that. And he has the death warrants of Christians in his hand. And Jesus, who had ascended into heaven, appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. And he says, and he, I love the question that he asked him. He says, Saul, Saul, he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Or why are you persecuting the church? Or why are you persecuting followers of the way he says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me 
that's my body. That's, that's, my, that's my flesh and blood. Those are, my, those are my people. They're so close to me. I can say, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord Jesus blinded Saul's eyes, and they led him to the city of Damascus, and he waited in a room there for a man named Ananias. Ananias knew that Saul was there because God appeared to Ananias in a vision. And said, look, Ananias, I need you to go tell somebody about my grace. I need you to go tell this person about my love for him, about how, how I care for him, because I'm going to use him to reach the nations. And that person that you're going to go tell is a man named Shaul or Saul. And Ananias' response was about the same response that you and I would give. Uh, God, I- I'm not sure if you understand this, but he's the one that's been killing people like me. <laughs> Like, I'm not sure I want to go tell him about Jesus because he's killing followers of Jesus. And last time I checked, I am one, God. So I'm not real interested in going to tell Saul about your grace. And God said, but you have to do it because I have chosen him. In fact, Saul's name means requested by God asked for by God. God says, I have called him to myself so that he may be a light to his people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. So go to Damascus and go to a street called Straight Street, which is, I think, the best name for a street ever, by the way. It's like, literally, that's what the book of Acts says. It's called Straight Street. Like, just imagine two you know, civil engineers doing urban planning going, well, there's no curves in this one. Uh, what do you want to call it? Straight, perfect, street sign, straight, easy, easy for Ananias. So Ananias shows up, he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news about God's grace with Saul, and Saul says yes to Jesus, and he's transformed so radically, he's so different, he does such a 180 degree turn, he says, I can't even be called by my old name anymore, and he changes his name to the apostle, not the apostle Paul, just to Paul, and he becomes an apostle or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Ends up writing about 70% of the New Testament, by the way. Then, after that, subsequent to his conversion, Paul now travels around the region all over the place, and instead of persecuting Christians, instead of imprisoning followers of the way, he's trying to convert people to Christianity. He's trying to convert people to become a follower of the way. He's just telling everybody about Jesus, and he's traveling from city to city to city to city, and he just tells anyone that will listen about the good news about Jesus and about the grace that Jesus showed him, even though, even when, he was a persecutor of God's church. And Paul eventually would say, I'm the chief of all sinners. Did you know what I used to do? And God still poured his grace out on me, still poured his favor out on me. And he's doing that in a city called Ephesus. Do you remember last summer we studied the the letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians? So he's in Ephesus with his buddy Timothy. We don't have time to talk about Timothy, but we'll talk about him another time. And while Paul and Timothy are in this city called Ephesus, there's a man listening listening to the presentation of the gospel. He's listening to Paul preach. And that man's name is Epaphras. Epaphras wasn't from Ephesus. We don't know why Epaphras was there. Maybe he was visiting family. Maybe he was there on business. Maybe he was having a little vacay. We're not sure why he was in Ephesus, but he was there. And he heard Paul preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Epaphras said yes to Jesus. And he was converted to become a follower of the way. And then, after being converted in a city called Ephesus, Epaphras returned to his hometown. His hometown is a city called Colossae. 
And he began to share the gospel with his friends and family and co-workers and siblings in the city called Colossae. And his friends and family and co-workers and siblings started converting to become followers of the way. And they started a little church there in a city called Colossae. And they were doing what the early church did and what we do even today. We get together and have meals together. We study the apostles' teaching together. We pray. We break bread. We have communion. They were doing all those things there in Colossae. Just because Paul was obedient to share the gospel and the good news about Jesus. And Paul was converted just because Ananias was obedient. Even in the face of fear now. Even knowing full well that what he was about to walk into was a very, very dangerous situation. I could imagine Ananias having a conversation with God like, you know, look, you, you know, Jesus promised that he would prepare a place for me in heaven. Like, I hope that place is done because when I go to share my faith with Saul, I'm going to be going there, right? But even in the face of fear, he shared his faith and he shared the good news about Jesus with Saul, who became Paul. And then Paul, even in the face of persecution and tribulation and famine and sword and imprisonment, and he eventually, according to church history, would be beheaded in Rome, even in the face of that, sharing the gospel in Ephesus and converted a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras would go back to Colossae and start a church there. Now, I just want to stop right here. Let's just, let's just take one bottom line truth, one point from just the church history and what happened in Colossae to get that church started. When it comes to Ananias sharing his faith with Saul, when it comes to Paul, who used to be Saul, sharing his faith in Ephesus and Epaphras becoming converted. Here's the deal. When it comes to the good news about Jesus Christ, when it comes to you living out the gospel in your life, when it comes to you telling people about Jesus and telling people about your experience with him, you never know who's listening and you never know who's watching. You never know who's listening and you never know who's watching. When God came to Ananias, he said, go tell Saul because I am going to use him as a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to use him as a light to the nations to shine my good news of grace to the nations and to the ends of the earth. Like, I don't think, you know, Ananias, like he heard those words, but do you think he really got a picture of, of churches 2,000 years later in Toronto reading the letters of the guy he was about to convert? I doubt it. But he did it anyway. He was obedient and faithful because he knew that God could take his obedience and his faithfulness and do something really big and great with it. Do you think that Paul and Timothy, as they shared their faith in the city of Ephesus, knew in the back of their minds, there's a man here named Epaphras? Like, I don't, I don't picture it that way. They were just being obedient. They were just being faithful. And here's Epaphras becomes converted and starts a city in Col or starts a church in Colossae. And Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, short form is Colossians, which we'll read today, came from Epaphras' obedience and going back to share his faith in his city. You never know who's listening you never know who's watching I had a friend that I grew up with uh, I met him when I was in about fifth grade and um and you know like I, you know most fourth fifth sixth graders I, I think they're like you know they're kids right but my friend was like a jerk <laughs> he, he really was uh I'll say good things about him here in a minute but but he was he was a he was a jerk then 
And then in junior high, he continued to be a big jerk. And then kind of at the end of junior high, he got into business. He became an entrepreneur. He started to sell marijuana. And his marijuana business really took off at my high school. It was unbelievable. You, uh, if you knew anything about my high school, you'd go, yeah, that makes sense. So at the end of his sophomore year of high school, my, my buddy, whose name I'm not going to tell you uh, just to protect the innocent and the guilty, to be honest, um, at the end of his sophomore year, he said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm out of this thing. I, I, I'm just going to quit school because school is not helping me uh, grow my business or grow my other stuff. So he, he quit school and he left at the end of his sophomore year. And, and we kind of parted ways at the time. And I was a Christian then. I was a Christian in junior high and high school. But, you know, it's like in junior high, I mean, you know, eh. You do your best. High school, I mean, people were scrambled. I was scrambled. I tried to live out a life of integrity in front of him. I tried to share the gospel with him, tell him about Jesus to the best of my ability. But, you know, the whole time, I didn't know I was doing any good. I didn't think I was doing any good. Like, and, and it was probably scrambled. It was probably confusing. I, you know, I just, I did my best. So at the end of sophomore year, when he left school and we kind of parted ways, I, I never really knew what happened to him. Until 10 or 12 years later, I was uh, playing indoor soccer back in Phoenix with a buddy of mine, and, and I said to him, I said, Andy, whatever happened to this guy that was, you know, kind of the, the, the marijuana salesman for our school? Um, and I said, uh, I said whatever, whatever happened to him? And he said, this, this is my friend who, who doesn't know Jesus at all, but he knows uh, that I love Jesus and given my life to him, and I'm a pastor and all stuff. He said, Luke, you... You don't know what happened to this, this guy? I said, no, no, no. He said, why don't you look him up on Facebook? I'm not going to tell you his name so you don't look him up on Facebook. Request him as a friend. Yeah. Tell you about Jesus. And also, I need to make a purchase. No, we don't want them. So. <laughs> uh, he said, look him up on Facebook. And so I did. And right there on his profile, it says, follower of Christ. He's married, kids, attends church a couple miles from my parents' house. His marijuana business is doing great, by the way. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Gave his life to Jesus. Said yes to Jesus. Like, I, I, I like to look back and, you know, I, I, I did my best. I, I didn't know he was listening. I didn't know he was watching. You never know. Another friend named, named Mark, I can tell you his name. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, he was a sophomore, quiet guy, shy guy. Uh, played on the football team, great, great guy, man of integrity, and, and, you know, but didn't know Jesus, never, never had met Jesus before, never heard that Jesus just wanted to love him and show him grace and forgive him and cleanse him from, from anything and everything he had done wrong and, and, and restore a relationship uh, with, with him and the Father. So I told him about that to the best of my ability. And, and after a few months of sharing with him, after a few months of attending church together, my friend said, you know what, I really, I want, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to say yes to that invitation. And so we knelt right there in his bedroom, and he prayed and said yes to Jesus. Now, I don't know if any of you uh, have ever had the opportunity. I, I really counted a privilege. It's, a, it's one of the joys and highlights of my life to pray with someone as they receive Jesus and choose to follow Jesus for the first time. It was an absolute joy. But it's always really awkward. It really is. It's like the first time you ask somebody for a date. You don't really know what you're, I don't, you know, like you just, and you're trying, because they're like, they're praying for the first time a lot of times, and you're not really sure how to do it. And so you have this situation where this guy is saying yes to Jesus, and it's a really beautiful and joyful moment, but it's a little awkward. And so, you know, whatever, I got over it. 
And so I'm going, you know, it, what's going to happen with him? What's going to happen in his faith journey? What's going to happen in his life? And I just tried to love him as best I could and come alongside of him as best I could. And a couple years later, we graduated from, or I, I graduated from high school that year. Yeah, I wasn't held back. He was a sophomore. A couple years later, he graduated and uh, went to university. And a couple years in university, he said, you know what? I, I really, I, I think I might want to try this ministry thing. I said, wow, that's, that's great, you know. So he became an intern at the church that we were attending. And after a couple years, he said, you know what, I don't like working in a church. I don't like doing ministry in a church. And I said, okay, that's fine. What do you want to do? He said, I want to do ministry in a place where nobody's heard about Jesus before. I said, oh, well, that's, that's crazy. Where do you want to go? He's like, I'd like to go to a closed country in the Middle East. So he got married when he was 24, and he's been in a closed country in the Middle East for the last 10 or 12 years, just sharing the gospel of Jesus, telling people about God's grace. I had no idea when he was a sophomore in high school that that would happen. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. One more story, and then uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about your life. Uh, how many of you know Craig Allison? Have you heard that name before, Craig Allison? Craig, really, uh, he attended Baby Glen a long time. He and his wife, Esther, they live up north now. And we see them on occasion. They were just here a few weeks ago for a baby dedication. So he really is like a family member here at Bayview Glen. And he was part of Bayview Glen Church for a long time. Craig emailed me just a couple of months ago. And he wanted to share a story with me uh, about a situation where somebody shared their faith and, and told somebody else about Jesus and brought somebody to church. And now that person is making a glow global impact that was totally unexpected. Craig writes this email. He says, good morning, Lucas. Craig Allison here. I didn't need to read that part. You already knew. Um, I trust that you've been blessed this past weekend, even as you are now hopefully enjoying some rest. It's no secret that Bayview Glen is a church with a global impact as people come and go from, from and to many continents and nations. I know that you see this vision clearly, which is why I wanted to bless you with a story about this global impact embodied in one person, Victor Cam. He gave me permission to share this story with you. The dates may not be entirely accurate, but the important details are. In 2002, Esther and I first met Victor and his wife Annie in the Bayview Glen gym. We were in the badminton club together. <laughs> At that time, Victor had not yet come to faith. Victor and Annie had moved with their families from Canada or to Canada from Hong Kong during their childhood. We became good friends with Victor and Annie. They started attending Bayview Glen and joined our small group. We prayed with and for Victor in his faith journey. In 2008, Victor came to faith and we all rejoiced. So Craig adds a personal note to Nelson Annan, who is a lead pastor here for about 10 years. He says, Nelson, I know that your teaching ministry played an important part in Victor's decision. That's why I'm copying you on this email. In 2012, Victor and Annie and their children moved back to Hong Kong. Since moving back, they've become vibrant leaders in their home church and found a calling to ministry there. Earlier this year, Victor was called to help out at a hospital in Congo run by missionaries from Hong Kong and England. So, he, this, I love this. He says, he answered that call and is serving there in a short-term capacity. We're receiving updates from Victor and are blessed by the story of God at work in and through his life. I wanted to share this with you because it's a great example of how God has used Baby Glenn to bring a Canadian from Hong Kong to faith in Toronto, then pour out blessings from this same Canadian from Hong Kong all around the world and now in Congo. We serve an amazing God, live in an amazing time, and have each had the privilege to serve in an amazing church with a truly global impact. Have a super day, Craig. Look, 
when, the, when Ananias was called to be obedient and share his faith with Saul, did he know what was going to come from that? I doubt it, very seriously. I mean, maybe he had an inkling because God had shared that with him, but, but he didn't see the scope of that. When Paul preached and shared his faith in Ephesus, did he know Epaphras would be listening and go back to Colossae and convert people, and 2,000 years later, we'd be reading Paul's letter to the Colossians? I doubt it, very seriously. But they were obedient anyway. Did I know that my marijuana salesman friend would come to Christ? No. Did I know that my buddy that I shared faith with would go to the Middle East and become a missionary in a closed country? No. Did, did Nelson Annan know that Victor and his wife would go back and do ministry in Hong Kong and then ministry in the Congo? No. But they did it anyway because you never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. And listen to me. Look at me now. Same goes for you. Same goes for you. I know that living out your faith and living out the gospel and sharing the gospel with people around you can get fatiguing. I know it can get tiring. I know it can get discouraging. I know it, sometimes it's scary. I know sometimes you go into it with trepidation. Oh, what are they going to think of me? And you know what I mean? What if, what if they reject it? I, I get it. But you never know what God might do. Maybe that person is asked for by God to make a difference in the world around you. Keep it up, stay after it, don't give up, be encouraged, God is using you. You never know who's listening as you share your faith and you never know who's watching as you live out the implications of the gospel in front of them. So listen, Epaphras converted, says yes to Jesus in Ephesus, and he goes back to his home city of Colossae. Colossae, by the way, is in modern-day Turkey. If you know Turkey at all, if you, if you know where Konya is, and you go due west from Konya, and you go due south from Istanbul, if you just do that, your fingers will meet right at Colossae. Colossae was at the intersection of a couple of major trade routes. One of them was an east-to-west trade route, and one of them was a north-to-south trade route. The reason that that's important is because a lot of different religions and a lot of different backgrounds and people from different cultures and different philosophies intersected and talked in Colossae. So there were kind of, there were kind of faith systems and philosophical systems from all over the place, all kinds of different stuff going on there in Colossae. So when Epaphras goes back and people start getting converted to become a follower of the way and saying yes to Jesus, the church is doing really well for a while and people are excited and they're talking about stories about Jesus and they're reading these letters that they're receiving from the apostles and they're reading portions of the gospel and they're singing hymns together and they're meeting together daily. But false teaching kind of begins to creep into this church at Colossae. And there were three kind of really critical false teachers, really kind of three critical groups of people that were teaching things that were contrary to the gospel. The first group is a group called Judaizers. You don't need to know how to spell that. There's not going to be a pop quiz. But here's what Judaizers said. They said that salvation, eternal life, is Jesus plus law. It's Jesus plus law. So the Judaizer said, you know what? I know that you've placed your faith in Christ. I get that you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you still have to do all of these old things that come from Judaism. You still have to you know, do the Sabbath thing and do the sacrifice thing. And you know, men, you, and now that you've converted to faith in Christ, you have to be circumcised, which is like worst new members class ever, right? Um, by the way. 
I'll just leave that where it's at. So they said, it's Jesus plus law. That was the Judaizers. And then there was a group of folks called the syncretists. The syncretists were taking pieces of different religions, and they were saying, all right, we're going to take a little bit of good from here and a little bit of good from here and a little bit of good from here, and we're going to combine those all together. And that's really where salvation comes from. So essentially they were saying salvation is Jesus plus other religions. Jesus plus other kind of philosophical things. Yes, Jesus is, is yeah, yeah, that's, yes, but we, he's 90% of the way there. We need to add on these other religious things uh, about, you know, that, that, that we know from different backgrounds and all the people that are converging here on our city. That was a syncretist. And then there was a, another group of folks called the, the Gnostics. And for those, you know, Bible scholars in the room, let me just talk to you really quickly, okay? So for some of you, you go, you know what, Gnosticism didn't really, you know, emerge as a comprehensive philosophical, you know, background until, the, you know, the late second century. So there were no Gnostics in Colossae. Okay, not comprehensive until the end of the second century, but there were people that were teaching these things early in the church from as early as before Christ came around. So here's what Gnostics said. They said, Jesus plus higher knowledge. That's what gets you salvation. That's what gets you eternal life. That's what's critical in this life. Gnostic is where we get our word. It's, it's, the root word is gnosis. It's where we get our word knowledge from. So Gnostics essentially said that there's kind of a higher plane of thinking, a higher plane of existence, a, a, a kind of a more, a more sophisticated understanding, and that's what we need to move towards. That's what we need to achieve. Yes, Jesus is good. Yes, he's the foundation, but, but there's still more. There's still still more knowledge. There's, there's still more to, to kind of come. And so Paul hears of those false teachers. Interesting thing to me about this letter is that Paul never went to the city of Colossae as far as we knew. He certainly had not been here when he wrote this letter according to context and according to what the Bible has to say. But he writes a letter to this church to help address this false teaching that has kind of crept into what they're thinking about who Jesus is. And Paul starts to talk about the law and its inability to save you. It's, he starts to challenge pagan religions and these different philosophies and, and other uh, spiritualities. He says, you know what? No, that's not, not it. It's Jesus. And then he affirms that true and complete knowledge comes from Christ and from Christ alone. And he does that throughout the entire book of Colossians. Now, just side note here. Look up here on the screen. Does, does that not look like what the world we live in today? Does that not look like what happens around, around the world and, and, and as we interact with people in our lives? I'm going to pick on church people here in a minute, so everybody, like, buckle your seatbelts. I'll pick on church people. Let's start with the last one. Jesus plus higher knowledge. I can't tell you how many friends that, would say, that I have that would say, yes, Jesus is a prophet. Yes, he's a good teacher, but there's kind of a next level. And they may not say it like that, but that's what they mean by that. It's kind of a next level of higher knowledge. How many of you have friends, just by a show of hands, that would say, yes, Jesus is good, but if we pick from all these other different religions and we put them all together, that's the better way to go about this. Show of hands. How many friends? Okay, good. Great. That's fine. It's, it's not what the Bible teaches, but that, that's your prerogative if that's what you believe. It's just not what the Bible teaches. You know, the Jesus plus law people, that's, that's interesting because church people are like, you know what, I, I, uh, I don't have a lot of folks in my life that, you know, Jesus plus law, Jesus plus extra behavior, Jesus plus some additional things that I do. You know why you can't think of those people? Because it's you <laughs> and me. 
all these Jesus plus law people, we all go to church. That's what we do. And we might not talk about Sabbath and circumcision, but we talk about how low cut is your top and you should probably not be smoking anymore and cussing anymore because it's Jesus plus some extra stuff. And Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he says, no, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus taught. It's Jesus plus nothing. (laughs) Jesus plus zero. Eternal life and salvation, all you need for this life and the next, is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Here's what Paul recognized about these false teachers that were creeping into this church. Here's what he recognized. It wasn't just about right or wrong. It wasn't just about uh, addressing uh, Gnosticism or syncretism or, or any of those other kind of you know, isms that we talked about and the false teaching that we talked about. Here's what he recognized is that each of those false philosophies, each of those false understandings were compromising and undermining who Jesus is and was, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So those Jesus plus law people, they were saying Christ is not sufficient. Have you heard of that term, the sufficiency of Christ? They were saying Christ is not sufficient. He gets you 90% of the way there, but we need that extra 10% of things that you've got to do to obey, to impress him. Or the syncretists were challenging the exclusivity of Christ. Yeah, Jesus is good. Jesus is, you know, Jesus is a good deal, but we need to add all these kind of other religions to make it complete. And Paul is going, hey, as far as, as, far as I know, Jesus says, I am a way, I am a truth, and I am a life. You know, you can get to the Father through a lot of different ways, right? No. No, that's not what Jesus said. He says, I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not these other religions, but through me. And not even through religion in and of itself, but through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Gnostics challenged the supremacy of Christ. They undermined the supremacy of Christ. That knowledge is supreme. But Paul says Christ is supreme. So when Paul hears about these false teachings at a church that he loves, even though he's never been there, he writes a letter to this church at Colossae, and he lays out a deep and transformative and comprehensive Christology. That is to say, a theology of who Christ is and what he's done. And then he says, now if we understand Jesus, if we understand who he is and what he's done, and that the Bible teaches it's Jesus plus nothing, then all of the other stuff that we're concerned about in terms of work, family, Christian life, prayer, you name it, that will all fall into place if we understand who Jesus is. In fact, I don't even need to address these false teachings head on. You'll see him kind of, there's some implications there and there's some kind of things that he pulls in, but he doesn't even necessarily address it head on. He, he says like, you know, you heard the, you've heard the story about you know, people that detect counterfeit bills. You heard that before? They don't give them a bunch of different counterfeit bills and say, here, this one's counterfeit, here, this one's counterfeit, here, this one's counterfeit. They say, you just touch real money all the time. So when somebody hands you a counterfeit bill, you'll go, well, that's fake because I know what real money feels like. That's what Paul says to this church. He says, I don't need to address these false teachings. If you just know what's true, then when the false stuff comes in, when the counterfeit stuff comes in, you're like, that's not right because I know what truth is. 2,000 years later, a a theologian that's still around and still writing, by the way, would say it this way. He says, when Christ is the burning sun at the center of your universe, all the other planets just fall into place. 
When Christ is the burning sun at the center of your universe, all the other planets fall into place. So here's the overarching theme for the book of Colossians, for Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. He says this, let's get Jesus right and everything else will follow. We're not going to talk about behavior. We're not going to address false teaching head on. He even says that some of those teachings are plausible. He says they might make sense, but they're not right because they're not Jesus. So let's get Jesus right. Let's understand who he is and what he's done, and everything else will follow. Now, back then, they didn't have email, okay? And if they did, it was only dial-up, so it was very, very slow. Romans hadn't invented cable email, yeah, cable internet yet. So, uh, so, so what they did was they would write letters to one another. And so Paul, in about 50, 55 AD, he's in prison, probably in Rome, but potentially in Ephesus. And he writes a letter from prison to this church at Colossae because he hears about this false teaching and it's crept its way in. And he loves Epaphras so much, this son in the faith that he's got. And he loves this church in Colossae and he wants them to succeed and he wants them to thrive and he wants them to live out the life of Christ in and through, or Christ to live out his life in and through them. So he writes them this letter. And in Colossians 4, verse 16, Paul writes this. He says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul's implying here that he's written a letter to the church at Laodicea. We don't have that one. It didn't survive. We do have the letter to the church at Colossae. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've written this letter to you and make sure all the other churches that you're in contact with, specifically Laodicea, but there was also a city near them called Hierapolis where this letter would have been read. And he says, pass it around. Make sure that everybody reads this letter because it is who Jesus is. So, so let, me, let me just replace one word here. Ready? And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church at Bayview and Steele's. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So here's, here's what would have happened in that early church. The Colossian believers would have gathered together. Many of them likely would have been illiterate. And they wouldn't have had like a printing press so everybody could go home and read this letter. So somebody would have got up and they would have read Paul's letter to the church at Colossae in its entirety. I've always wanted to do this in church. I really have. I've been preaching for a while now. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years. I have never done this, so it might be an epic fail. But I don't care because I've always wanted to do it. Because this is what the early church would have experienced. Somebody would have gotten up and said, Paul, the one who is asked for by God, to, and, and, and the one that God is using to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth has written us a letter. Everybody get together. And I think, I think he might talk about some of the stuff that we're hearing about. You need to add law and you need to add higher knowledge and you need to add these other religions. I think he might address some of the stuff. So let's all get together. We're going to have a meal together, which you can have snacks up in the gym afterwards. Not here, but afterwards, just like the early church. All right, just like the early church. But right now, we're going to read the letter in its entirety. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to listen to me read, 
And then when you see the scripture up here on the screen, I want you to read along with me. So we're going to read it all together in a couple of places. Paul's letter to the church at Colossae begins this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of all his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Read with me. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Read with me. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this, now listen, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, come on now, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Thank God, that's me, that's not Paul. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Read with me. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, capital H, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If, with Christ, you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence to the flesh. Read with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Don't panic, we'll get there later this summer. Husbands, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, not Jesus Christ, but Jesus who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this letter with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. Father, we are grateful today for your word. We are grateful for its transforming power. And as we look forward this summer, our goal, our desire, oh God, is that you would be Jesus, the burning sun in the center of our universe. And we would see all the other planets of life and work and play, family. See them all fall into place because you are that stable sun. You are that gravitational pull that keeps our lives together. God, we worship you today and we're grateful for the inspired word of God in the scripture. And together the people of God said, amen.